Welcome to Present Company, the Netflix podcast that brings you dynamic conversations with exceptional people behind your favorite series, films, documentaries, and specials. I'm your host, Krista Smith. For years, I was Vanity Fair's ambassador to Hollywood, interviewing countless actors as well as creatives and authorities across the spectrum. My passion is talent, any form of it. How do you know you have it? How do you cultivate it? How do you protect it? And also, I want to get to the heart of what drives it. On this podcast, I'll be talking to people in Hollywood and far beyond. Thank you for joining me. Today, I have a treat for all of you fans of The Crown out there, and also all the fans of really good acting. Today, I've got the wonderful Josh O'Connor. Across two seasons, this young Brit has captivated fans and critics alike with his nuance and complex portrait of Prince Charles. Here's a clip for our listeners. I still think you're gorgeous. Cleverest, handsomest man in every room. Do you really? But I do need that sometimes. And you look gorgeous too. Your beauty, your radiance is a great, shining, spectacular miracle. When I see the light in people's faces when they look at you, it makes me realize that I'm the luckiest man in the world and we're the luckiest family in the world. It makes me want to ring the Queen back in London and say, Can you hear that, Mummy? Listen to that. It's a hundred decibels louder than anything you ever got. Chew on that. Choke on that. You know, I think this might be the most important conversation we've ever had. Yes. And the solution is so simple. Anytime either of us feels like we're not getting what we need, we simply need to give that very thing to the other. Because if you learn anything from today, it's... We both need the same as each other. To be encouraged. To be supported. To be appreciated. Loved. Yes. Josh takes me all the way back to his reaction when he first heard about the part, his initial reservations about playing Prince Charles, and of course his experience working opposite the wonderful Emma Corrin, who plays Princess Diana. We also talk about how he first came to acting, his drama school years, and his breakout role, plus the exciting projects he's got coming up next. So get comfortable. Here is Josh O'Connor. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, I've really enjoyed discovering you, which is so funny, uh, as Prince Charles in The Crown, and then going back to realize <laughs> that you've had this incredible kind of career of doing the you know British greatest hits with uh, Doctor Who and obviously um, your your breakout performance uh in God's own country, but I do love that American way of feeling like we've discovered you as Prince Charles in the crown. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. I think I like it's my American discovery, let's say. That's yeah. Uh, it's got to be a little daunting, obviously, to to play a member of the most famous family in the world, one of which we really know nothing about. It's it's all our interpretations are visual, right? It's it's mainly in that the pictures that we see of them or or what we project onto them our own feelings about what their life must be like. But but as an actor, you know, how did you approach playing him? Because I imagine there'd be some kind of cliche trappings 
that you really want to be mindful to avoid. And you did such a spectacular job of of the physicality of him. I'd love for you just to talk a little bit about that. I suppose it, in terms of kind of the, the approach with it, I remember when I when I first when it first sort of came to me and we were discussing my agent and my team and about whether this was the right move. I mean, you know, obviously it didn't take long before they were like, Josh, this is obviously the right move. But I think for me, my I guess my reservation was that I often feel like when you play someone who is real, it's, it's very easy to fall into a sort of a mimic, like a mimicry of a person. Mm. I don't think it... it um, this necessarily translates in the States as much as it does in the UK, but we had a thing called Spitting Image, which was a sort of like a slapstick comedy version with these sort of like caricatures of the royals. And so I, I feel like in a, in a way, I, I guess I just thought, you know, particularly Prince Charles, because of the stuff like Spitting Image, I was like, I definitely don't want to fall into um, this kind of uh, like almost comedic, mimicry version of Prince Charles. And then the next, the next part of that was, okay, well, what, has, what versions of someone playing someone who is real have impressed me or have I really liked? And, um, and one which I've talked, it's Todd Haynes' film, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. beautiful. It's like eight actors playing Dylan and, they are, and none of them, apart from maybe Kate Blanchett, ironically, uh, are playing a Dylan that you can really sort of recognise. And I'm a big Dylan fan, but none of them were like, oh yeah, this person's really got the, the mannerisms down. But they weren't supposed to. They were sort of playing, they were sort of playing versions of his personality, which of course we don't know, because we don't know what Dylan's actually like. And so I remember like citing that as, as a thing and just thinking, right, actually, what I need to do is break down Prince Charles as an idea and just see him as a character, just as I would any, any other character and approach him that way. And, you know, Peter's writing helps that because of course, you know, as time after time we say, you know, and it's true, this is a work of fiction and Peter takes what's real and fictionalizes it. Um, and so that was my main aim. And so things like, you know, his mannerisms, which I know people, we're like, oh, that's just like Prince Charles. You know, those things are, in some ways, were the simplest bits. They were just like, well, these are the start, these are the building blocks, and then I'll kind of work my way up. They're the foundations, just so that people would watch it in, in the first 10 minutes go, okay, so that's Prince Charles, and not have to worry about, oh, I can't imagine he'd be like that, or whatever. And then the rest is just, you know, pure creation, I suppose. Hmm. Do you recall, is there like an image or an anecdote or um, something that you found that kind of gave you that sense of him, that specificity? I worked at length with uh, William Conacher, who's a brilliant dialect coach. And I, I remember there was a kind of, there were sort of two things really. It was like, one, on the one hand, there was a way of kind of him emphasizing words and in kind of very strange places and sentences. But so, and I remember hearing that and, and having that pointed out to me. And that really, that definitely really helped. And then the other one, which I thought was really the kind of something that sort of locked me into him was this thing he does when he gets out of the car, which is that he, so he sort of, he always seems to do it. It's like if you find any footage of Prince Charles arriving at any event, he gets out of a car, he checks his, hang on, I can't even remember. He sort of checks his, he checks his cufflinks, mm. then he, hand, then he checks his pocket square, 
and then he does this wave and it's like it's just instantaneously you kind of like you're, you recognize it as, as a child's thing to do so those there were two things that I thought were really sort of like helped me out really <laughs> do you remember at all how how it felt going into that first audition for him did you have a kind of mindset about it I was shooting in Belgium and I got a phone call saying in fact, I actually, I, I remember the first time I heard about it was I was talking to Vanessa Kirby, mm. who's a mate of mine, and we were just chatting and I said, oh, I can't wait to see season three of The Crown. And she said, um, she said, oh, well, I'm not doing it. And I was like, are you crazy? Well, how, how on earth are they going to find someone to take over from you? And then she explained that they jump ahead and blah, blah, blah. And as soon as she said that, I was like, oh, oh, so hang on. So they're going to need a Prince Charles <laughs> and there's only like there's maybe two actors I know with the sticky out ears and I'm <laughs> one of them so I just thought well you know I'm a shoe in here and then but then nothing <laughs> I didn't get a phone call and then eventually I was shooting in Belgium I got a phone call saying would you like to come in and, and read for Prince Charles and my initial I have to say kind of absurdly my initial reaction was no, no I don't think that's a good idea and so I said I said no to coming in and meeting them. And, and the re, I, why that was, I'm not really sure. I think it was just kind of, it felt like a huge project and I was enjoying making sort of low budget indies and <laughs> enjoying that sort of world. And, and it just felt like quite an intimidating thing maybe. Um, but then a couple of months later, they came back to me and just said, look, can you just come in and have a chat with us? And so I did. And so in terms of the audition, it never felt like, in a weird way, it didn't feel pressure because it just felt like I was there to talk to them about the issues I had with it or what my reservations were. And they were there to talk to me about, to alleviate those worries and for me to just have a little read. I mean, the, the, the big thing was that I was, it was nice to be able to go into a meeting knowing that, well, I'm going to read the lines, but also if it doesn't work out, at that, you know, at the time I thought this, <laughs> yeah, obviously not now, but at the time I thought if it doesn't work out, it's, that's okay because, you know, it doesn't, it's not necessarily the right thing. And anyway, but I read it and I spoke to Ben Karen and Nina Gold and Robert Stern and, and, and Peter. And it, it, as soon as I kind of, we started talking about the character and because I hadn't read anything, it was like I had a few scenes and one episode from season three. As soon as we start talking about the journey of, you know, in season three, let's make him sympathetic and let's make everyone go poor Charles. And then in season four, let's get everyone to hate him. <laughs> I was like, whoa, that's a cool challenge. So yeah, that, I suppose that was, as soon as I heard that, I was, I was right on board. <laughs> and it's so true. I love the way you articulated that. We do. We're so sympathetic with him. And when he goes to Wales and, and we feel for him and, and yeah. you know, all he wants to do is be loved and recognized. And, and then by season four, we're raging. It's so, it's just the, you do an incredible job um, taking us on that evolution uh, of his character. When you talked about, like, when you're in season three, do you know what's happening in season four? I knew that the Diana stuff was coming along. And, um, and you know, as I was doing, doing season three, and I, you know, I'd get every now and then, Peter would text me and say, hey, I've written this scene. It's like a 10-page long scene with Diana. And you're going, oh, my God, it's terrifying. Um, and obviously, the process had sort of started, by the end of season three, they sort of started the process of trying to find Diana. And... You know, I know it, it drew out, but really 
we kind of found Denver very very early on, really. So so I knew that was happening. But yeah, it did help. I mean, to me, it was like season three. In some ways, season three was just kind of a breeze because I did feel really sorry for him. I did, and 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 you know, as you just said, then like you feel in in when he's in Wales and when he's not allowed to marry the woman he loves, you feel incredibly sad for him, and yet he's still. He's exactly the same person throughout season four. He still wants the same things. He's still not allowed to be with the woman he loves. He's still, the night before he gets married, told... Because I, I remember this, this being the thing, is that I, um, I went to Ben Karen, I went to, the, um, to Peter, and every, every, anyone, I, anyone who'd listened to me uh, in season four, and I was like, guys, this is really unfair, because poor, poor old Charles is getting a right old raw, raw deal here. here. He's not allowed to marry Camilla. And then he's like, and then just before he gets married to Diana, he goes to the mu- his mum and says, I really don't think this is right. And then she's like, oh, just get on with it. Then he's so, so even at that point, he's like, I don't think this is the right thing. And he just, he does it because everyone tells him he should. And so then he's in this kind of like insane marriage, as we know, with Diana. And then by, by, by the end, he's the one that says, look, this can't carry on. And so the fun, the, I think the big task for me in, in season four was, that I knew was coming along was every, many things about him don't not, not an awful lot changes. It's just that, you know, we've got, we, 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 we find him hard because here comes this amazing person in Diana and he just, he fails her and himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what's interesting. It's, it's like that when princess Anne says to, to the queen, you know, we all know Charles is way older than his years and Diana's young and younger than her years. So it is, it is true that he doesn't, he is the same. It's just, we look at him differently because we're looking at him in the way Peter frames the series. We're looking, you know, in season four in particular, we're looking at him through Diana's experience, uh, which is kind of a, it is a little bit of a mind, a Jedi mind trick, because you're right. It is, he has been, and he's probably the most consistent character uh, throughout, you know, exactly how he's, how it's going to, you know, what decisions he's going to make and which way he's, he's going to go. But let's do, let's talk about Emma for a second, because also part of what is just so successful um, this season in particular is your chemistry, uh, we we believe it. We're completely invested in this Charles and Diana, and you know the romantic chemistry. The way in the begin when you're on the trip abroad, and then the fight scenes are so powerful. Can you just talk a little bit about working with Emma and and coming to that end, and obviously that the giant climax in the last episode when you have the huge blowout? Yeah. So I think I think in terms of. I mean, chem- chemistry is like a really, it's a really funny thing where I don't really, I, I, I still kind of grapple with how, how it works. Because ultimately, um, you know, I've, I've done like, I've done jobs in the past where people have come away and said, wow, look, like you guys had an unbelievable chemistry. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes I'm like, yeah, we really did. And in terms of, I mean, I mean, I don't think I've never, I don't think I've ever had like, not had chemistry in so far as like I've never I've touched wood never worked with anyone that I've been like I've really not got on with or anything um but but I suppose in that sense it's like well Emma you know Emma and I were 
and are great friends. And so it was just kind of, it was easy. And I think, I think the, res- the way that comes about is A, obviously brilliant writing. Um, B is getting, a, you know, a couple of actors who um, can know what they're doing. And then, but then C, I think ultimately it's about just listening and engaging with the other person and being able to receive what the other actor is giving you. And I think what Emma and I were really good at is just was turning up, you know, prepared as much as you can be prepared, but ultimately saying, right, come on then, what are you going to offer? And what am I going to offer? And it would just sort of, it would bubble that way. And, um, and so, yeah, look, like I, I, I can't say enough, like how brilliant Emma is and, and she's, such a pleasure to work with as well. Um, but I think, yeah, ultimately it comes down to that right, that Peter's writing and, and his expression of a very com- complicated marriage. Like, as you said, you know, young, a very young girl and a guy who's a lot older and a, a lot older in, 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 in his kind of personality as he is in, in his, um, his actual age. And so, yeah, it's, it's sort of doomed to fail, isn't it? Yeah, well, would she? Um, when I when I spoke with Emma, she had said like, and for that big fight scene um, after she comes back from from a very triumphant trip in in New York, and she had said, I was like, okay, Josh, just do whatever, just like come at me, and that it was so um, that she was actually she felt her body physically just be frightened, and she said, I did genuinely tear up from from the experience, I, and I think that that oh God. Poor Emma. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I think I think that's right. I mean, it was um, it was a horrible, it was a horrible experience. In some, I mean, in some ways it was horrible. In some ways, it's like it's the actor's dream just to let rip, <laughs> and, and 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 particularly in the Crown, where Prince Charles. I mean, what was so the part of the reason? You know, anyone who says, you know, like where did you have to go to find that like pure anger that he shows in that scene? And I was like, well. Not that far. I mean, like, it was quite near the end of the shoot. And as I just said earlier, like, I kept, I kept, I was, like, reading these scripts. And in almost every other episode, Diana has a scene with the Queen where she says, I'm really worried about my relationship because this, 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 this. And they listen to her and she's able to say what it is. And then she says, I'm going to work on it. And, and then there's, like, three occasions where, this, where uh, Charles has a scene with, the Queen, and uh, each one was about a quarter of a page long because all it was was Charles coming and saying, can I just express how I'm feeling? And he's told to leave and he's not allowed to say what he wants. And even and in the final, right at the end, when he turns up with a, lit, with a piece of paper saying, this marriage doesn't work. And it's all, all he said, he's not, he's not doing it for him. He's like, he looks at Diane and he says, he says None of, neither of us are, are happy here. No one's happy. So here is our way out. And he goes in to have this meeting and Diana sparks up. And so in that final, in that kind of, I guess that sort of angry, violent, vocally violent scene, I was just, I I just felt frustrated for Charles. I was like, he doesn't get, he doesn't actually get to say how he feels. And there he is trying, like the woman he loves, um, looking at Diana being a great success. And I, you know, it was, it was hard in this, insofar as you're having to shout at your mate Emma, but for the character, from a character's point of view, it was like, it totally made sense to me and, and had to be, 
all the frustration, all the kind of resentment that had been bottling up for the entire, not just series four, series three, and in fact, two. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. I want to take you uh, back to the beginning a little bit. You... I read that you always wanted to be, you know, as soon as you played the Scarecrow in Wizard of Oz, you realized you wanted to be an actor, which I love how many times other That's actors, and, and I've interviewed an enormous amount of actors <laughs> over the course of my career, and Wizard of Oz plays heavily in <laughs> into aspiring <laughs> a lot of young, future future great actors, so you're, you're not unique in that, but... Um, what was that kind of decision, obviously, you know, for you to go to drama school? I mean, was it clear that for you that that was the only way to 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 pursue it was was to go to um, Bristol Old Vic, which obviously Daniel Day-Lewis went to? And kind of what was your decision in picking that particular school and going to drama school? Well, yeah, um, drama school for me was a kind of... Um, yeah, it was a strange... It was a strange one because I, I sort of... Like, first of all, drama school isn't necessarily, I mean, it's not a normal course of, you know, it's not something you necessarily know about unless you seek out the, inf- the information. I mean, my school, for instance, no one had ever applied to go to drama school. Um, and so when I was at secondary school doing my A-levels, I, you know, I was doing art, photography, drama, and, and I had this brilliant drama teacher, Jerry Strawn, who just said to me, oh, well, you know, what do you think about applying to drama school? And also my dad, who was who'd done lots of research on it and was kind of brilliantly supportive and, and came up with a list of names. And, but it was a new, it was new territory for me. I, but, but I remember visiting, so there were two things. One was that there was the obvious place like RADA that just felt so terrifying. RADA, Lambda, Guildhall, they're all in London, mm-hmm. uh, brilliant schools in London. And London, I was like from a small town in the, in the west, west of England. And I just felt like the idea of moving to London to me was like, petrifying at that point so I remember going to those auditions and just thinking like there's no chance and I didn't get into any of them so that was that but when I turned up at Bristol Old Vic first of all Daniel Day-Lewis had been there and that felt very exciting and Laurence Olivier started it uh, started the school and that was also very exciting and Olivia Coleman had gone there who was just coming up at that stage and I really liked her and there were a list of kind of brilliant actors like Jeremy Irons as well, you know, lo- loads of act- brilliant actors who come up through Bristol Vic. And they just felt like the, the sort of people that I'd sort of looked up to. And, and but, also, but mainly, above all of that, I turned up to this school and it was like, it was, Bristol Vic is a, it's like a house, it's just a house. <laughs> it's just a, what a beautiful house in, in, the, in Clifton in Bristol. And you turn up and all the teachers are just, were incredibly warm. And I, I just remember thinking, like, this is this felt like home. It was like I'd found my family. You know, I've got an amazing real family, but this is like, this is my family. This is the career I'm going to do. In my head, I was like, this is what I'll do for the rest of my life. And I'm, this is my first introduction to my family. And so it was like this beautiful thing. And I remember coming away from the first audition there and saying to my mum and dad, like, this is where I want to go. And it was close to where I was from, and it was a smaller city, and... Anyway, I like thank goodness I did go there because it was a total dream, and I made some lifelong friends. And but yeah, it was it was I suppose I mean the, the scarecrow and the wizard of Oz was the beginning of it, <laughs> but really I, I um, but I but I think it was just a kind of long process, and and it's not it's it's the other thing to say is it's never ending because you know you, no I, 
I, I don't think anyone's ever like 100% sure that, that they know what they want to do. I think it's just like day to day, um, project to project. It's like something grabs you or, some, or you know, that you have times where you feel a bit kind of uh, stagnant and, and stale. And then times where like a project like The Crown or, um, or God's Own Country or whatever it is comes up and you're like, God, that's amazing. And I feel excited and I'm kind of, rejuvenated and and so you're constantly asking the question like is this is this it is this it is this me and and um, but that was definitely a moment mm-hmm. going to drama school where I was like god this feels comfortable this feels at home mm. yeah and then you you kind of did those like I said earlier you hit those marks of you kind of feels like you hit the ground running when you came out it, it, it took a, a bit of time but but you found your footing relatively quickly in actor time <laughs> uh, but yeah. you, you mentioned God's Own Country, which obviously a very important film for you at that point in your career, directed by Francis Lee. How did the response of that movie change your own personal trajectory in terms of your decision-making process and how your identity changed within the acting community? Yeah, my... Um... Yeah, the response to that film was kind of mad, really, because we went from, like, um, making the small, like, small, seemingly small film. It didn't cost, it was like a you know, low-budget feature film, first-time feature film from Francis Lee, who now obviously has made Ammonite and is brilliant and a great friend of mine. But um, at the time, yeah, we were just making a small little movie um, in the north of England. I do remember reading that script and thinking like, this is, this is definitely the bee's knees in terms of writing and, and I'll be lucky to, to, to do it. But yeah, it's, I don't know, like the response was kind of insane because yeah, I, I, I guess I wasn't expecting it and it changed the game for me in terms of, I suppose people saw me before as like this kind of, oh, you know, I was doing lots of, you know, like peak, things like Peaky Blind, I was doing lots of theater, but then stuff like Peaky Blinds, I'd come in and I'd play like a, I don't know, like a posh, I think I played a posh guy in it. And then I'd go and do a comedy thing. I remember doing a, a pilot called London Irish with Phoebe Wallerbridge and Phoebe and I, I mean, Phoebe and I were just like in one episode, in the pilot episode. And we were both playing like very posh people. And um, I remember being like, yeah, I, I, like, I feel like I can do that. <laughs> and I came away feeling quite confident that that was like job done and fine. Um, but I don't think, but I always felt like, no, this isn't like me. I, I feel like what's interesting to me is playing stuff that is not me. It isn't nothing like me. And so when God's own country came along, it just felt like this is my opportunity to play, uh, you know, a Yorkshire farmer, uh, someone who's completely removed from me and to be, to then get, you know, the awards recognition and all the stuff that came along with it, it just felt really, special um so yeah it was definitely a kind of big change in my career really yeah it's a beautiful film too you have a couple of things i want to talk to you about so you're working with uh mothering sunday where which reunites you with with olivia coleman so being that she went to the old vic and being that you just did two seasons with her what have you absorbed from her that you're going to take with you you know now in your career moving forward um so many things. I mean, like fundamentally, the biggest thing is just the friendship that we've got. And 
Um, she's been an incredibly kind friend. And so in that sense, um, that, that, that to me is the biggest kind of thing to take away from it. Um, yeah, in terms of uh, like, I mean, just, I guess just watching her and working with her every day is a huge learning curve. I mean, like, um, I remember in season three that one of the first scenes I shot was the, the final scene in episode six, which is when the Welsh episode where Charles comes back and he has a kind of big showdown with his mother. And I just remember watching, I'd actually just worked with Olivia just before. I've done, I've done like three jobs in a row with her. Um, and just before that, I'd done Les Miserables, but we didn't actually get to do very much together. But on, but on, uh, on The Crown doing that scene, I just remember there's, a kind, there's something about her and she... She's so funny because she will, you know, she talks about how she just sort of turns up and it just happens. And it sort of is like that insofar as like she does just turn up and she does just like pull out these amazing performances and you're like scratching your head because, you know, if you're like me, you spend hours sort of prepping stuff. Um, but she is, she is kind of mind-blowing and she does just sort of flick it on. Um, but also, I think there is, I, I can't help but think that there's a process behind that, even if she's not aware of it, of a, just a kind of like, she engages in such an emotional way. You know, she, she, she'd say herself, she cries at like <laughs> a little, the smallest thing. And I think being in the presence of an actor like that, who's just raw kind of emotion and raw talent and just a gift of a performer, like rubs off on you and and I feel so privileged to have got to have had so much time with her and and the same yeah same on Mothering Sunday and 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 you know hopefully we'll c come together again at some point in the future mm. yeah. well you've definitely met your match um I would say with Jesse Buckley and Romeo and Juliet I just think she's extraordinary um yeah, and she was terrific and I'm I'm thinking of ending things the Kaufman film that was out last year but I loved this Romeo and Juliet I don't know why but it just really spoke to me the fact that it was like part obviously you filmed it on a stage it was like part play part film it was just fantastic and it, it's got to be an actor's bucket list obviously Romeo and Juliet you know it's one of the ones you 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 check yeah. off but this was particularly um fantastic and energetic and and modern but yet completely true to to Shakespeare I loved it oh great thank you yeah we, we um it was a really special thing for us because we well first of all Jesse and I are like old mates like best friends so um it's kind of like one of those ones where um we left drama school about the same time um and we met I was doing a play uh in a fringe theater in in town and and she came to watch it and she knew one of the cast members and we met then and we stayed in touch and we became very good friends. And, and we basically for about nine years, we've been trying to find something to do together. Um, and in some ways, Romeo and Juliet was like, took us by surprise. Cause I remember when the national got in contact and said, would you like to play Romeo? And I thought, oh, that's a weird thing to want me to do. <laughs> Cause I was like, well, Hey, I'm surely I'm getting a bit old for that. But, um, but I thought this is probably my last chance to do it. And it's one of those ones where, you know, it'd be nice to be able to say I've done it. And, um, and so it was a yes. But then the next, the exciting thing next was that I went to, Je I remember going to Jesse and saying, Jesse, what do you reckon about 
playing Juliet. And it was exactly the same as me. It was like, why would, surely I'm not the right age. And also, why would I do that? No. And then we were like, no, let's do it. We're going to be on stage. And it was very exciting. And obviously that all changed because of COVID. And I think what was so amazing about it, and I, I have now seen it. I didn't want to watch it because I felt like we'd had such a special moment in time making it that I just felt like watching it just felt like kind of invasion of, of a memory. Um, and so I didn't want to watch it, but I have now watched it. And, you know, obviously it's, it's very special, but, but it's a, it's a, it's a really difficult, <laughs> it's a really difficult play. And it's made even harder in so far in, in the fact that you're, we have no locations. <laughs> so it's like, you know, for, I think particularly for Romeo, actually, it's like, well, you've got to uh, tell the story that you're, you're upset at your friend dying. And so then you murder this, your new love cousin, even though you know that will ruin your entire life. And then you've got to, you get thrown away to a place somewhere far, far away, but actually it's just another room over there. <laughs> and just the geography of it was like incredibly difficult. Um, so I remember that, that that was really hard. But the, but yeah, as you say, like working with someone like Jess, Jesse's, Jesse for me is the, like the actor of, of my generation. And, um, and we've been sort of, you know, like when God's Own Country was out, Beast was out and we were both doing awards circuit and same when Only You came out and, um, and Wild Rose was out. And so we've always been kind of like the indie, like actors that like up for the mm. same awards and blah, blah, blah. And so it's just been like, it's just been so nice to do something together and, and for it to have had such a good response is really exciting. Uh, yeah, it's great. And we'll, we'll definitely be doing stuff in the future as well with mm. the stuff now. That's so, great. Yeah. Well, before I let you go, I have to talk about um, watching you win your Golden Globe. One of the things that you made a point to talk about was mental health. And I know that you've been involved uh, with MIND, which is an organization that obviously is is geared towards helping people and get the right resources. Why is this so important to you and 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 to take that moment obviously in public to talk about it? Um well, I think like I feel like in the last year um covid has uh, I think particularly in in the UK, but I'm sure it's the same in the states and I'm sure a lot of places around the world. I think it's highlighted some severe problems that were sort of like lying sort of napping a little bit and we've we've kind of we've kind of rejected them for a long time and we are talking about mental health more but i'm just you know i'm seeing friends and uh and family go go through some really difficult stuff and so i just i guess for me i mean the golden globes was was just an awareness that in the last sort of 6 to 8 months um, I've been able to work and many people haven't. And so there was just this feeling of like, God, if it wasn't for work, I think I'd be really struggling and, and work has really helped me. And I've been surrounded by, as I say, and I do really mean this, like my family, the, the, the actors that I work with are my family. And so I feel very supported in that sense. But it was just a kind of, I guess it was just a call of like, of sort of guys, we have to take this so seriously. This is a, this is a killer. And I think in, in a time where we feel, um, we feel as individuals, we feel heard because of social media and yet not listened to because we are voiceless. 
you know, it's just, I think it's, there's so many, there are so many issues in society right now that are stacking up. And I've just seen the effects more and more recently, um, particularly with young guys, but I, I think it's true of anyone. I think we're just all kind of like struggling through. And, and I would just, I just wanted to kind of be able to like, state that in although i think when i started talking it talking about mental health stuff a little thing came up saying finish it finish it and like music started coming up and i i was like panicking and it was like as i was talking about mental health it was like i was having my own panic attack and it was like a terrifying thing so um so the irony of it was was quite strange but yeah i was glad to be able to kind of um mention it at least and yeah it, it it's a moment and i think it is very important and i think certainly uh you know, whether it's the British, the stiff upper lip or the Americans where we're just like we, we ignore everything and, and just plow through just straight ahead. Um, yeah. It is very important. And, and I, I think it's wonderful that that people are talking about it, certainly openly. And I love watching you, uh, these tortured, complicated joyful characters uh i i really look forward to seeing what you're going to do next and i appreciate the time thank you for having me as well thanks thanks so much for joining me the crown is streaming now on netflix please subscribe rate and review this podcast wherever you've been listening you can follow me on twitter and instagram at krista smith join me next time for more meaningful conversations here at present company